Welcome to another episode of a special podcast we like to call From the Archives. These are hand-picked sermons and sermon series preached in our church over the years by some of the pastors, elders, and special guests we've had the privilege of listening to. We hope and we pray that as we listen to these classic messages, we'll be challenged in our walk with Jesus and encouraged to trust in him more and more. That being said, let's dive into the episode. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of From the Archives and it is my pleasure this week to introduce you to Jonathan Thomas on the topic of the second coming. Now, I know this episode should come with a warning uh, and John does start off with a warning. He kind of puts us in a group, one of three groups. Either we hear about the second coming and we get excited, at last a chance to speak about end timesy stuff. Or we're already extremists, we're already obsessed with this stuff. Or, most likely, if you're anything like me, you're part of the Eyes Rolling Brigade. You're just fed up of people telling you things which seem daft, in your opinion, about barcodes and dates and days and things like that. Well, actually, John uh, helpfully takes us through not just uh, what Paul has got to say in 1 Thessalonians, but other passages of Scripture. And it's, it's really good stuff. He lays out the stuff that we can know, the stuff that we can't know, why it is good to know at all anything about Jesus' coming back. So I commend this episode to you and to your listening. Uh, there is a, probably a serious warning, though. And that is, the recording quality is dubious at best. But that being said, um, I should shut up and I should let you get on with listening to Jonathan. Great. If you've got a Bible, please turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, We're in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So today is Advent Sunday. Who has bought their Advent calendar? You got yours. I've got a Marvel Comics one, a bit of a boys one uh, for the office. Um, it's very important. Now, as you know, Advent uh, is the season where we remember Jesus' first coming. But often, as Christians, what we uh, tend to forget is that Advent is actually the season as well when we uh, anticipate the Lord's second coming. So, Advent um, is a season of remembering, looking back, but as well anticipating, looking forward. Now, here's a thought to some of you. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could buy a second coming advent calendar? Like counting down to the actual day. Wouldn't it be brilliant? Now I think if Cheryl wants to raise any money selling calendars, this is the calendar to make. If you can guarantee the day that Jesus is coming back um, and then make a uh, calendar counting down, then you will make a lot of money, particularly in America, I think. Now, when it comes to the second coming, already this morning I am looking out and I am seeing a number of responses that are different. Now, this morning you're falling into one of three groups. Let's see which you are. Some of you are excited. Finally. We've been here two years. We've never mentioned the second coming. Now we're going to find out when's the rapture happening, for how long will the millennium be. Um, I remember when I first became a Christian, I was uh, discipled by a great Christian, but he was really excited about the second coming. He used to like to work nights in order to listen to the BBC World Service 
because that's where the real news was. And he used to listen with glee what was happening in Israel. Is there a World Bank? Is the Pope the man of lawlessness? Um, and he was convinced he could work out the exact coming um, of Jesus. And some of us get very excited about the second coming. Um, the uh, Left Behind books, have you come across them? They've sold over 11 million copies. The film is coming out. Um, you know, there's a real excitement. Now, some people, and hopefully there's none here this morning, they're not just excited, but they're extremists. Um, they're extremists when it comes to the second coming. So you think of people like the Heaven's Gate cult. Do you remember when Hale Bock went over? 39 people entered into a suicide pact and killed themselves. Um, and some people can be very extreme about the second coming. Um, a book was um, published in the 80s called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. Well, I got one reason why that book was wrong. Um, <laughs> but, but there are kind of um, extremists out there. But very often in the West, and kind of amongst my generation, uh, the response generally is, I is rolling. And I kind of saw it as soon as you heard me talking about the second coming, you just kind of went, ah, here we go. You're kind of fed up with it. You were brought up hearing about barcodes, and everybody was fascinated, are we pre-millennialists, post-millennialists, amillennialists, or pan-millennialists, it'll all pan out in the end. You were all kind of brought up with that and so now for you the second coming it's just eyes rolling and you can't think you just go in can't we just have a practical sermon for once do we have to deal with this i wonder which are you this morning are you excited um are you an extremist i hope you're not um or are you just your eyes uh, rolling and one of the reasons we have this um picture and idea is because of the image we have of the second coming now i think many of us when we think of the second coming of Christ, um, the fact that Jesus is going to come back, not as a baby, but as Lord and Saviour, and just as he went up into the air in the ascension, he's going to come from the air and meet us there. Everybody's going to see it. It's going to be the end of all things and the beginning of all new things. When it comes to that second coming of Jesus, many of us have got the idea of um, walking towards a cliff. In fact, I've got a little a sign here. You think of the second coming as a, as a cliff edge. And we're walking towards it. But the problem is, it's nighttime, it's dark, and we don't know where the cliff edge is. So we don't know whether the cliff edge is five inches away, five foot away, or five miles away, or 50,000 miles away. We really don't know. Now, the excitement group here this morning, you're walking along, and you are looking for signs everywhere. You want to see the signs. You want to see where are the, how many metres are there to go. You're looking for signs everywhere. You're missing out on the view because you're so determined to find signs. You're looking at the grass. This looks like grass that's on the edge of a cliff. <gasps> Maybe the edge of the cliff is coming near, and you're getting very excited, but you're missing out on it. Now, the extremists, they're walking around and putting signs up themselves. They're just inventing signs. Look, here we go, the edge is coming, it's coming now, give me all your money, otherwise the edge is going to come even faster. And they're just putting signs up everywhere. Now, the eye is rolling, people. We're not even convinced there's a cliff edge. And if there is, there's nothing you can do about it. So, who cares? Let's just walk along and what will happen, will happen. And really, it's because we have this image that somewhere out there, there is this massive event that we can't really know anything about. Now, I want to say this morning that the excitement, the extremist, and the eyes rolling are all wrong. They're not the right approaches to the second coming. In fact, the New Testament is really clear. The New Testament is clear that when we hear about the second coming, there is one response we should have, and it's this. Encouragement. We should be encouraged by the second coming. Now, let's be honest. How many of us, when we hear the second coming, go, oh, my heart is so encouraged. Isn't it brilliant about the second coming? I'm really encouraged today. 
It's funny, isn't it? The, the Bible teaches we should be encouraged by the second coming. And it talks about being encouraged because Jesus is going to come back and take us to heaven. Do you remember John 14? Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then I'm going to come back and take you to be with where I am. But as well, it's encouraging because the second coming changes the way we live. And it encourages us to live holy lives. Now, when it comes to the second coming, obviously, one of the big questions we've got here today is, can we know anything about it? And what can we know about the second uh, coming? Very often, we feel that the second coming and death and heaven and the new earth and the new heavens is a bit like looking into the fog. It's just out there. It's foggy. And we can't really know what we're seeing. Uh, but one New Testament uh, theologian, N.T. Wright, says this. Yes, it is like looking into the fog. But what happens if you saw someone walking out of the fog? Then you'd have a much better idea. And basically, the New Testament is saying, do you know what? Looking into eternity may be like looking into the fog, but one has come to us from the fog, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so actually, we can know an awful lot about death, about the second coming, and about the eternal state of our souls. So when it comes to the second coming, it's not speculation. It's not speculation. For us, it's all about revelation. God has revealed to us what's going to happen. Now, where it gets confusing is when you read through the New Testament on the second coming, in particular, Jesus coming back, the New Testament writers resort to picture language. When you read through uh, the Gospels, the Epistles, Revelation, you'll notice um, that Jesus in his teaching in the parables, uh, Paul in his letters, Peter, John on the Isle of Patmos, they keep using picture language. And the problem is then we get confused because we don't know what's a picture and what isn't a picture. So, for example, last week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul used picture language for death. What was his picture language for death? Sleep. He wasn't saying that people literally are asleep. No, they're literally dead. But the picture language is they're asleep, which means it's not permanent. Death is only as powerful as sleep to Jesus. And when it comes to the second coming, even more so, we have to rely on picture language. Uh, so one uh, writer, Bruce Milne, says this. The Lord's coming will inevitably go beyond all this-worldly descriptions, and we are forced to resort to symbols in order to represent it. Because Jesus' return is going to be so amazing, it's going to be so bigger than anything we've seen or imagined, the Bible writers have to resort to picture language. Do you remember when John in Revelation um, is taken, he's on the Lord's day, he's in the Spirit, and he's taken up to heaven, and he gets a vision of the heaven that is there now. Do you remember in Revelation? Well, when you read Revelation, what does John do? He describes everything he sees in picture language. He's not describing what he actually saw. So when you read Revelation, you don't want to sit down and say with Revelation chapter 5 and go, right, I'm going to write down now what John saw. So he saw Jesus, great, so you imagine a man who was a lamb. Oh, right, Jesus is a lamb in heaven. That's interesting about the incarnation. Okay, and then he's a lamb who's been slayed. Oh, man, so his neck is gaping open and there's... Oh, that's okay. And then he's got horns. Please, a sheep. Don't worry about it. Just put horns on him. And then he's got, like, loads of eyes. Oh, this is getting a freaky sheep now. And you start to think about it. I'm going to spend the two worshipping a lamb with a man's head whose neck has been slit, covered in eyes and horns. And then, what's going on? John has experienced something so amazing that he's got to give you picture language and every picture represents something. So here's Jesus... 
priest and lamb of God who died to take away the sins of the world. And he's got these eyes that look everywhere. And he's got these horns which are full of power. And as you go through, you've got to ask the question, not what should I see with the images, but what should I understand with the images? So symbolic language, particularly with death and the second coming, we call it um, uh, kind of symbolic, pictorial uh, language. Um, uh, it's very important to ask the question, not what do I see, but what are they telling me and what they want me to see? So it means that when it comes to the second coming, we've got to be really careful that we don't take symbolic passages literally. We've got to take symbolic passages literarily. We've got to ask the question, what did the original author intend for us to see? What does he want us to see? Does that, does that make sense this morning? This is kind of exegesis 101, okay? This is how we understand the Bible. We ask, what did the original author intend for me to understand? Now this means that when it comes to the second coming, because it's all in picture language, we've got to have what uh, one American pastor, Joshua Harris, calls um, humble orthodoxy. Humble orthodoxy. So you've got to have humility. Because we're dealing with picture language, we haven't actually been to the second coming yet, which means we could be wrong on some of our interpretation. Am I allowed to say that from the front? We may be wrong. Because we might think, this is what the picture means, but that's because I'm using the thoughts of a man in the West in 2014. And I don't understand the thoughts of a Jewish man living uh, in, in AD 50. And so sometimes the symbolism is lost on me. So I need to have a little bit of humility. When it comes to issues of the second coming, particularly rooted groups this week, humility. Most of you are going to stay away, aren't you? So humility. But whilst we need to have humility, we need to understand that there is orthodoxy. There is truth, because Jesus has explained it to us. The Bible has revealed it to us. So we can't just go, well, no one can know. There we are, whatever you want to believe, that's fine. No, no, there's orthodoxy. And we need to make sure that we understand, because what did we learn last week? If we're ignorant about death and the second coming, we will grieve like those who have no hope. And so it's so important that we get it. So what I want to do today is look at three pictures of the second coming. Uh, the thief in the night, the labour pains of a pregnant woman, and the night and daytime. We're going to look at those three images, um, and then we're going to find out what does that tell us about the Lord's return. And please remember, the images cannot contradict one another. Uh, these are images that are used together um, to bring something out, and we need to find the author's original intention. So, let's read together. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Okay, watch out for the pictures. What are the pictures there for? What are the pictures intended to mean? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers... And not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. So we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, 
encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing Let's look firstly then at the uh, first point, the thief in the night, which basically verses 1 and 2 says that Jesus will come and it will be unexpected. You know, one of the reasons we love the Advent calendar, and particularly those of us with younger kids, is because you can taste them. Look, there's all of these chocolates we've got to eat all of these days. The good thing about the Advent calendar is you can count them. One of the reasons we all love having uh, Christmas on December the 25th is that we can, we can, we can plan ahead. Now, many, uh, I'm going to be a little bit generalised now in, in, in gender, but many women ha- ha- know December 25th is coming. And so you knew that Black Friday was coming, you know that the shops are going to sell out. So many of you bought your presents like a month, two months ago. Did any of you buy Christmas presents before two months ago, out of interest? I bought Beck's Christmas present three months ago. There we are. Listen and learn. So what you're doing now is you're making sure, you know when Christmas is, you know the countdown is, you will make sure you buy your presents in time. Men, you have not learned the lesson that I learned last year. <laughs> that going to Tesco's on December the 24th does not make for a great Christmas for your wife. You have not learned. You need to realise Christmas is December the 25th. Uh, you still don't understand this. It is the 25th of December and the shops are not open. So you need to be buying now. The great thing about having Christmas and a date is you know how long you've got to be prepared. What I love is the difference is, is this. Uh, many people are going, let's buy them as soon as possible. And many of the men are going, I've got like 24 days to go. I've got, I don't have to do anything because Christmas doesn't come until the 25th. The problem is something happens on the day before you don't get any presents and then you're in trouble. Now, we love to have dates because then we can plan. It's like the MOT, isn't it? The great thing about the MOT is, no matter what happens to your car the day after the MOT, you don't have to do anything because the MOT isn't for another 11 and a half months or so. Uh, for the uh, police here today, that, I don't do that. I look after my car. Uh, and I would encourage you all to do the same. Um, <laughs> be careful. They will, they will follow you. Um, so you've got to be careful. Now, what Jesus is saying here is, is the second coming, there is no date. There's no date. You can't plan for it. And you can't put off planning for it. You can't say, well, Jesus is going to come in 2018, in September, so I don't need to worry about it until August 2018. There's none of that. Jesus said, the first thing is, he says, look, first one, we can't write you about dates and times. That is of no interest to the Christian. Why? Because verse 2, he's going to come like a thief in the night. And even Jesus taught this, and let's have a look at Mark, uh, Mark 13 says this, No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, says Jesus, but only the Father. Be on your guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. The first thing Paul wants us to know with the second coming is, you will not know what's going to happen. The second coming for everybody will be like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected. So, I'm sorry, we can't make a second coming up on calendar. There is no way of doing that. Beware of people who tell you they know when Jesus is coming. Uh, they are liars. Some of them are false deceivers who are trying to take you away from Christ. Be very careful of people who say they know when Jesus is coming back. People have been saying it since the times of Jesus, and they've all been proved wrong so far. But one of them probably will get it right by accident. That's just the way it's going to work. So, number one, he comes like a thief in the night. But number two... The labour pains of a pregnant woman. That is, verse 3, it will be inevitable. 
It will be inevitable. When the labour pains of a woman come, you know the baby is coming and you ain't going to stop it. You still don't know exactly when it's going to come because I don't think they had caesareans in the time of Jesus and Paul. You can't just put it in your diary like we do now. In those days, you were pregnant, you knew the baby was coming, but the point here is, it is inevitable. That when it comes, it comes. And here's the thing, some of you are thinking now, yeah, but see, John, you know when a baby's coming. You've got a rough idea of nine months, isn't there? Like, going to be labour pains at the end. Now, this is where you've got to come back to understanding the Bible. The Bible does not contradict itself. And writers don't contradict themselves within one or two verses. Paul has been very clear. Jesus will come like a thief in the night. It is unexpected. And then he uses a second picture to make a second point. Look at the second point. Have a look with me at verse 3. He says, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. You see, what Paul is writing here is, is that there are many people in the world who don't believe Jesus is coming back. And maybe you're here this morning and you think, all this talk about Jesus coming back is just not true. And maybe you're in church and you're listening to the gospel, you've been to Alpha and Christianity Explored, and, and you're listening and you're just going, yeah, maybe I need to think this through. And there's no kind of urgency, there's no urgency. You just think, well, one day I'll make a decision, one day I'll, I'll come to it. And Paul says, no, no, that's the wrong idea. Because Jesus is coming back, and for the non-believer, that will be a horrendous day. It will be a day, he says here, of destruction. And a day that we cannot escape from. Do you remember last week when we looked at chapter 4? Have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It talks about Jesus coming back primarily there, about coming for those who are dead, who have fallen asleep. And it says in verse 16 of chapter 4, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, and listen to these pictures, with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. You see, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as a baby. He's not coming back as one who will have to go to Egypt to escape persecution. He's not coming back as one where you can just choose whether you're going to come and worship him or not. No, no. Jesus is coming back as a man, but more than that, he's coming back as Lord. The pictures here in chapter 4, the language of the trumpet call, and all of this is all king, it's all power, it's all emperor. Do you remember um, back when uh, President Obama and all the world leaders came to Newport? Do you remember the images of that battleship going into the docks in Cardiff and all the helicopters overhead and all of these cars? Why were they there? Because world leaders were there. And in exactly the same way, Jesus is coming back as the world leader. And Jesus is coming back and everybody who's lived apart from him will meet him in judgment. It is a frightful day. It is a fearful day. Please, if you come to our church, don't think that we are saying to you, Christianity is one option of men. Don't think that we're coming to you and saying, Jesus loves you, and if you can accept him, well, that would be brilliant. But if not, don't worry. Honestly, deep down, we know that Jesus is coming back. You will either die and meet him in judgment, or he will come back before you die and you meet him in judgment. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, who has, we've sang it earlier on, died on the cross in our place, if you haven't trusted in him, well, then you will have to pay the price for your own sin. And when it comes, it will be like a woman in labour. There is nothing you can do about it. It will come and it will be a frightful day. So if you're this morning and you're a Christian, I really want to beg you, do not put it off. Do not put it off. Jesus is coming back. And it will be a dreadful day if you don't trust in Christ.
And so he says it will be like the labour pains of a pregnant woman. It will be inevitable. Now, some of you are still struggling with me. You're still going there. But John, surely we know something. Surely the whole idea here is labour pains. We should know something. And, and many of the reasons for this is, is misunderstanding some of the New Testament teaching. Um, there's two places we kind of get a little bit confused. The first one is in signs. So we've read Mark 13, we've read, we've read Jesus' teaching where he stood in the temple and the disciples made an innocent comment where they said, wow, the temple looks nice. And Jesus goes, you think it looks nice? One of these stones is going to be left on top of the other one. Let me tell you about a dreadful day. And he comes and he says, look, on that day, the temple's going to be destroyed. There's going to be natural disasters. There's going to be wars and rumours of wars. There's going to be persecution. Your family are going to chuck you into prison and, and all of these things. And many of us look at all of these signs and think that Jesus is talking about signs that we can see and track and monitor so that we can figure out when he comes. But actually, that's not the case at all. The temple was destroyed within 30 years. That's happened like 2,000 years ago. There's been natural disasters since the time of Jesus. I mean, after the time of Jesus, you had Laodicea, which was destroyed by an earthquake in 60 AD. In 62 AD, Pompeii started to tremble. There's been natural disasters. What about wars and rumours of wars? Surely, don't you think that World War I and World War II were horrendous? We've had the wars. What about the persecution? Would you say to our brothers and sisters around the world today being persecuted, oh, you're not, you're not quite being persecuted bad enough yet? We've been persecuted and are being persecuted. One of the other things is about mission expansion and the gospel going to all nations. I've got to be careful of the world's horizons people here this morning. This is, a, this is an important one for them. Um, so what are we going to say? I'm going to say I don't know. Okay, humble on this one. Um, does the gospel go to all nations or does it go to all people groups? And I don't know. If you want to ask, ask Tim who's playing the drums. He will tell you all the answers on that. The issue is this. All the signs are there. And do you know what? All the signs, they've been being fulfilled since Jesus' times. Always think, if Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night, why would he then tell me, but here are the signs so you can get ready? The point is not, look for the signs and then you need to get ready. The point is, oh heck, the signs are all happening, am I ready? It's a big difference. Jesus is not saying, look for the signs and then one day you'll have to get ready. Jesus is saying, look for the signs, they're here I need to get ready. You see, the first understanding is we misunderstand signs. The second misunderstanding is some of us misunderstand what the Bible means by the last days. So you're going, but Jonathan, won't there be last days? Yes. And we're in the last days. These are the last days. Oh, now he does know something about the second coming. How do I know these are the last days? Well, have a look at these verses with me. Hebrews 1, 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. So the author of the Hebrews said that when Jesus came, that was the last days. How about Acts 2.17, the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes down on the church, back to a prophecy from the Old Testament, in the last day, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. The New Testament is clear. The last days are the days between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. We have been in the last days since Jesus came. There are no other last days. Now, there are different interpretations in the Bible about the millennium and the seven years. I understand that. In our doctrinal basis, we don't set down what we believe here, okay? Uh, generally, the church would be a millennialist. We don't believe there's a thousand years, but we know there are good Christian men and women in the church who believe those things. Um, in the spirit of humble orthodoxy, I'm not going to push either. I'm not going to push either. But this is what I'm going to tell you, that we are in the last days, biblically speaking, 
and the signs are all happening. And the point is, you can't figure out when he's going to come. Because he's going to come like a thief in the night. And when he comes, it will be like a pregnant woman. There is nothing you can do to stop it. Those are the main things I want us uh, to, to grasp. There, there was problems in Thessalonica with it. Some people were giving up work. They were going, hey, Jesus is going to come back. Let's not bother working. And Paul said, interestingly, although we live as if he's a thief in the night, he still said, no, you need to go back to work. You need to live. There's a tension in the New Testament between living as if Jesus could come now, but living as if he's not going to come now. This, this really causes problems, because some people say, well, you know, Paul, he honestly thought Jesus was going to come back. He was wrong. Typical. Typically he's wrong on lots of things. We've been the whole lot. But he was wrong on that particularly. Why? Because you're misunderstanding Paul's language. You're misunderstanding his position. It wasn't that Paul said, he's going to come back before I die. That's a definite cert. He's saying this, we live as though he'll come back before I die. And he might come back before I die. I don't know, but I need to be ready. It's not that in heaven now Paul is looking back and going, well, I got that wrong. No, Paul is looking back and saying, I was right. We must live as though Jesus could come back at any time. You know, the big word in the New Testament, kind of with the second coming, is the word watch. Is the word watch. Let me show you a couple of other verses. Uh, Matthew 24, 42. Uh, Jesus, therefore keep watch, because you do not know um, on what day your Lord will come. Keep watch. What are we to keep watch of? The signs to work up when he's coming? No. Let's keep watch of our lives. Have a look at Mark 13. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or in the midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. The whole point is that we need to keep watch. But not looking for signs so that you can figure out the calendar so you don't need to live for Jesus now, but rather that you watch your life. Here's, here's the big New Testament emphasis. Jesus could come back today. If he did, would you be ready? That's the big, big emphasis in the New Testament. Jesus could come back today. Anybody this morning who afterwards say, no, he's not going to come back today because I've listened to something on the BBC World Service. Go to them, answer your comment, I've got humble orthodoxy, but I don't want to live like that. I want to live as if Jesus could come back today. I want to be ready for him. That's what I want to be. We're to watch our lives. We're to see the signs because the signs only increase our belief that he's coming back. But we never watch the signs to say, yeah, he's not going to come back. Let me be very, very clear. If you're living in a state where you're going, yeah, he's not going to come back at the moment, that's okay. You've missed the New Testament. We live as if he could come back. Whether you think there's things to happen or not, those things could happen like that. If you want all Israel to be saved or you want something to happen or whatever, do you know what, that could all happen like that. And Jesus will come back. So there's a third picture though. Here's the third picture, the night and daytime. We need to be alert. Now Paul changes the imagery and then really plays with our heads by changing the imagery left, right and centre. And we think, thank you Paul for doing that to make my job very easy. So he says, uh, verse 4, but you brothers, so he's talking about the pregnant woman illustration for the non-Christians. He says, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. And then he goes, see John, I told you. He's not going to come like a thief in the night. We can know when he's going to come back. Slow down. Listen, the pictures are there and they're not going to contradict one another. But the pictures all make a point. So let's listen. What is the point that's being made? It should not surprise you like a thief. It doesn't say Jesus is not going to come like a thief. 
But it says for the Christian, we should not be surprised by it. Think about it. Think about it. And he explains it for us. He says, so, you're all sons of light and sons of the day. So we do not need to belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. You see the, the analogy here. Paul says, look, there's two ways of living. There is a nighttime living and daytime living. There is nighttime living, which is um, the people who are drunk or asleep. The people who go off doing whatever or just asleep and ignorant of what's going on. They are living in the nighttime. Those are the people who aren't saved. And then he says, but there's us who are living in the daytime. Living in the daytime. And for us, we are sober, not drunk. We are awake, not sleep. And therefore, we are alert and self-controlled. You see, this is at this point where we need to bring in the big guns. Whenever I get into trouble, I say, what would John Stott say? So I look to John Stott, and John Stott is very helpful here, and he says this. He says, look, the interesting thing about the thief, the thief comes in two ways. Firstly, he comes unexpectedly. There's nothing you can do about that. Jesus is not going to send you a letter and say, I'm coming in two weeks' time, get ready. Okay? Whatever happens, Jesus is going to come unexpectedly. But John Stott says, but there's something else about the thief. The thief comes when you're sleeping. The thief comes at night. And John Stott says, there's something you can do about that. There's something you can do about that. Jesus will always come unexpectedly. But here's the question. Will you be asleep or drunk? Or will you be awake and sober? The Christian, even though they don't know when Jesus is going to come back, we must keep our lamps trimmed and burning. We must stay awake. We must be sober. We must live in the day. So do you know what? When Jesus comes back, it will be unexpected, but it won't be unwelcome. Say that again. When Jesus comes back for the believer, it will be unexpected, but it will not be unwelcome. It will not surprise us in a bad way. Now, to understand this, you've got to think um, about your mother-in-law. Mother-in-laws help you understand the second coming. Let me explain how your mother-in-law helps you understand the second coming. There are two types of mother-in-laws. I've got to be very careful this morning because this goes on the internet. There are two types of mother-in-laws, or should I say, two types of relationships with your mother-in-law. Now, some people, uh, they have a mother-in-law, and um, how can I put this? They don't really know. So when the mother-in-law buys them something... They don't want it. But they understand that they've got to be nice to their mother-in-law for the sake of the inheritance. So what they do is they take the presents, they put them in a box, and keep them in a box under the stairs. Now, someone in church does this. It's a myth. Um, and they, they keep it in a box under the stairs. And then, every time the mother-in-law phones, they always say, are you coming to stay? If you're coming to stay, can you tell me when you're coming to stay? We really need to know when you're coming to stay. Why? Because their mother-in-law coming to stay needs a lot of planning. Number one, they need to pull everything from underneath the stairs and put it up on the walls. Because they haven't been living, living for their mother-in-law. And secondly, they need to make a spare room up for them because they never have the spare room ready. And as well, really, the mother-in-law coming is one of those things you have to just kind of bear and grin for the inheritance. So there's another type of relationship with the mother-in-law. There is the mother-in-law who is loved. And whatever the mother-in-law gives goes up on the wall. I don't know anybody like this in church. Uh, no, 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 I mean, lots of people. Goes up on the wall and everything is there. And do you know what they do? They've always had not just a spare bedroom, but the mother-in-law's room. 
So do you know what? The mother-in-law might turn up unannounced, but it would never be a surprise. It would be unexpected, but it would never be a surprise. Why? Because everything's up on the wall, they're not hiding everything, and there is a room waiting for them, and they're really glad that they've come. Here's the thing with Jesus. For some of us, Jesus is like the mother-in-law we don't really love. We're just looking forward to the inheritance. Jesus is our insurance policy for when we die, but we're not ready for him. The, 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 the things we put out of the mother-in-laws are the good things of the Christian life of holiness. And for lots of us as Christians, we're not living them. And, and we're always wanting to know, when will Jesus come back? Because we know we need to get ready, and we're not ready. But for others of us, Jesus coming back is like the mother-in-law we love. Whatever fruit of the Spirit Jesus gives us, whatever gift of the Spirit Jesus gives us, whatever opportunity to serve Jesus gives us, we want to do it. We want to be adorned with good works. And do you know what? We, we don't really, really care if Jesus is going to come back today or next month. We'd love him to come back today. But do you know what? We're just going to be ready. So when he comes, oh, it'll be unexpected, but it won't be unwelcome. Does that make sense? That the, the teaching, the emphasis of the New Testament is, do you love Jesus and are you ready for him now? And whether he's going to come now or in a thousand years, are you ready now? Do you want him to come now? Or do you want, want him to come? You see, Jesus will be unexpected, but he will never be unwelcome for the Christian. You see, the big emphasis is this, and, and I, I love this. Sam in the office this week said this. We live knowing, yet not knowing. I thought, Sam, that's really helpful. We live knowing that Jesus comes back and we should be ready, but we live not knowing exactly when he's going to come back. But that's not the issue for us. We look at the signs, we watch our lives, and one day he will come. So let me end with this, just for a couple of minutes. What about now? What about now? Where do we land on this? What does this mean for today? How does this encourage our hearts? Let me change the image of the second coming. So I said earlier on that many of us think the second coming as going towards a cliff edge. And this morning I've basically said, we don't know. We don't know how far away the cliff edge is. And what I want to say is, actually waiting for the second coming is not like waiting for a cliff edge that you're walking straight across to. I want to say that the Christian life is like walking on a coastal path. Like walking on a coastal path. At all points in our Christian experience, we are right next to eternity. At all points. At any moment, we could enter eternity. Either through dying or through Jesus' second coming. We are always on the edge of eternity. We must never say, we're meters away, we're miles away, don't worry about it. We must always live at any point Jesus will come back. But here's the thing as we walk along the coastal path, Many of us will look at the beautiful view of eternity. And we can enjoy eternity now as we look at eternity. We can see that day. We can see that the Lord is with us. And we enjoy the walk and we long for the day when he comes back. But we walk along the coastal path. And so for us as Christians, it is great. But for those of us this morning who have yet to trust in Christ, when we look into eternity, we see rocks that are terrifying and seas that are unforgiven. As we quoted Hebrews, where it says, man is destined to die once, and then face judgment. Here's the thing, if you walk in this coastal path, if you haven't trusted in Christ yet, when we cross over, we will face judgment. But now, whilst we're on the coastal path, now, whilst we're in this life, at all points, do you know what Jesus is saying? This is what Jesus is saying to us this morning, if we haven't trusted yet. I have died for you. I have come for you. Before I'm coming again, I have come once. 
And why did I come that first time? I came to find and to save and to seek the lost and to give life. I came to live that perfect life you can't live. I came to die that death I don't want you to die. And I came to rise again to lead you to heaven. You know, if you're here this morning, you look at the second coming for the first time. Jesus has come to save you. Jesus has come to take you with him. He wants to be able to say to you like he does in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you and then I will come back and I will get you. We need to live in the light of the second coming. Jesus could come back today. He really could. And you could die today. He really could. But Jesus doesn't want us just to live for eternity. He wants us to live in eternity now. Christians, putting on that holiness encouraging one another are you living for Christ today are you loving Christ today are you enjoying Christ today are you savouring him today live in him today don't put it off a non-Christian become a Christian today he has come for you and he is coming back and he wants to take you with him to heaven all you have to do is trust in him admit that you need him believe that Christ has died for you and commit your life to live there. That's what we need to do as we come. And that is why the second coming is encouraging. It encourages us. It blesses our hearts. But it encourages us to repent. And to live holy lives. Well that's it for another episode. Of our From the Archives podcast. We hope that you found it challenging and encouraging. And as always, we'd like to offer you a few quick next steps that you can take right now. If there's anything that you'd like to discuss or any questions that have been raised, please do contact us via email to contact at amfordchurch.com. If you want to know more about what's going on in the life of the church, make sure that you like us on Facebook. And lastly, why not check us out on YouTube, where you'll find additional teaching to complement our regular sermon podcast and our From the Archives podcast. Thanks for listening.